The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. Good morning. Welcome to Parkview. I'm one of the pastors here. My name's Doug, and um, we're in this series called What Matters Most. And uh, what we're looking at is in the Bible, John chapters 13 to 17 is uh, a, a team meeting. I think it's the most important team meeting that's ever happened in the history of the planet. It's Jesus and his 11 disciples. It's right before his arrest and crucifixion and resurrection. And it's really interesting. The other gospels uh, cover different things about this. In fact, what John just walked us through with communion about the cup and the bread, John doesn't even mention that in John 13 to 17. What he is focusing on are the seven uh, key values that Jesus wants to see to be a part of his movement. And um, if we want to see God's word, the gospel, penetrate uh, our city or our church or our lives or our families or our relationships, then these qualities need to be in place. So one of them we're going to look at today actually is pictured, I think, pretty well in the animal kingdom. So I'm going to give you a little quiz here. Uh, these are legitimate too. Like if you do a Google search of animal plural names, there's some pretty funny ones. Like there's some pretty boring ones like sheep, a bunch of sheep are called a, a flock or a group of geese or a flock. Seemed like after a while, people got creative in what they called groups of animals. So let me see if you've heard of, these are legit, I'm not making them up. So like a group of alligators, do you know they're called a congregation? For, for real, that, that must have come from some disgruntled pastor somewhere, but that's legit, you can look it up, okay? Um, a group of cannibals is called a caravan. Really is, like caravan, all right? The next one, this is easy. Wolves is a pack, right? Just threw another easy one at you. Here's the next one. A group of buzzards, it's called a wake. Isn't that kind of morbid? It's, <laughs> look it up, like it's for real, it's true. A group of giraffes, it's called a tower. So, but the one that's gonna be illustrative for us today is a group of rhinos or rhinoceri or whatever you say about a group of them. They're called a crash. And if you know anything about rhino, the rhinos, uh, they can weigh up to 5,000 pounds, they can run 35 to 40 miles an hour, and they don't see very well. Like they, I don't know how you know this, but they, they, they think a, a rhino can really only see about 20 feet out, so a crash is apt, right? If you're flying and you're going 35 miles an hour and you weigh 5,000 pounds, you're crashing into stuff. But there's kind of, a, you know, you hit and you just keep going and you keep going and you keep going. And there's something about that relentlessness of a rhino that I think God, God must have had a blast creating all the animals, right? But that feature of them, I think, is something that he would love to see uh, be a part of his people. That relentlessness, that you are moving forward no matter what is going on. So in this What Matters Most series, the first couple we saw, Jesus said, in order for the gospel to move in your life, in your family, throughout a church, you've got to serve. So that was the first one we saw about serving, putting others ahead of yourself. Last week, we saw uh, about love, that you need to love in the way that Jesus has loved. But today, the, the banner word is believe, believe, because throughout John 14 to 16, Jesus is going to warn his people that there's some hard stuff coming, and you've got to believe in me to get through it. You've got to be relentless like a rhino. So let me pray, and um, we'll jump into, I think, some great verses today. Let me, let me pray for us. So, Jesus, this morning, um, you're going to just kind of open up our eyes, just like you did your disciples, that to follow you means there's going to be tribulation, there's going to be persecution, there's going to be hardship, 
But you, you are going to infuse your people with some promises that they're just going to need to cling to. And I know this morning, there are people in this room, they're just battling it. The storm is raging. And so this isn't a history lesson today. This is what you want to do in your people this morning. So would you speak clearly to us? Because we need to hear from you. In your great name we pray. Amen. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 14, verse 1, or look on your Bible app, or you can follow along in the outline in your bulletin. Uh, that would be great. But he um, opens up this section of, of this teaching. Again, John 13 through 17 is all one, probably in a couple hours segment. Jesus teaching his team, training his team. So at the end of, uh, or start of John 14, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Well, why did he have to say that? At the end of chapter 13, Jesus started talking specifically that he was going to leave them. And Peter's always the guy that speaks up right away. He says, Peter, Peter says, Jesus, I'm, I'm going with you. Wherever you go, I'm going to be with you. And then Jesus drops it on Peter that, well, you're going to deny me three times. And so now we're in John 14. I can imagine the room is just filled with big eyes. Like, what is going on? on. Even our leader, Peter's going to have an epic fail, and Jesus is leaving us. What's going on? Basically, their script is getting flipped. Like, we all, we all have a script in our lives. We always, you know, okay, well, at this stage of my life, this should happen, and then this should happen, and then this should happen. Well, their, their script is getting flipped. They were in Jerusalem with Jesus, thinking he's ready to take over and set up his kingdom, and he's saying, no, I'm going to leave you soon. And they're going, what? And so Jesus has to say, let not your hearts be be troubled. And so for us, our script getting flipped could be something about our job or our finances or relationship or something about one of our kids is struggling. This week, um, when I used to do student ministry here, I always had a great, loved our leaders we used to work with, and they're all over the country now. But one guy's a dentist now in central Iowa, and I got to talk to him this week. Um, right after the first of the year, he, he loved to work out. He's got two, three little girls at home, and he said he just realized it was hard to breathe, so he went in and he had an x-ray and there was a big old tumor in his chest that when they removed the tumor, they found also that he has leukemia and lymphoma and just boom. You talk about a guy's script getting changed, just set up a practice, he's been in it about three years and boom, there you go. And so uh, Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. And so why is he telling them this? Why, why is he telling us this this morning? Remember, this isn't history. We're in this team meeting too. And so why is he telling us this? I think a couple things. One, he doesn't want us to be surprised that in this life you will face opposition. You will face hardship. You will have troubles. But I think even greater than that, John 16, 1, Jesus said, I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. What would be far worse for Jesus wouldn't be if one of his people suffered or even died, but it would be that they would leave him, that they would go away. So he's warning them, troubles are coming. And then later he warns them about persecution. In John 15, verses 20 and 21, he says, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Then a little bit later in John 16, remember this is the same conversation, the same team meeting. In verse 2 he says, Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he's offering a service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father or me. But I have said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Here's, here's what's going on. In, in the three years that Jesus was with his team, 
um, the one who was taking the shots was him. I, I really believe there is an enemy that Satan is for this time alive and well, that he would do anything he can to keep people from really seeing who God is and really knowing the love of God. And so while Jesus was on the earth with his disciples, guess who had the target on his chest? It was Jesus. And so what Jesus is preparing his team for is like, hey guys, now look, I am leaving and while I'm gone, you're going to be taking the hits. Like, honestly, if any of so can imagine those 11 guys are the ones that were entrusted with the gospel. And if they melted down, that gospel, humanly speaking, wasn't going to spread. And Jesus says, when I'm gone, you're going to be the prime target. And that's the same for anybody here this morning. If you're a student trying to live for Jesus at West High or the University of Iowa or any of us trying to follow Jesus, just consider that you have a big target on your back. And so there will be persecution coming your way. It seems like if you look around the world today, the one group of people around the world that it seems okay to, to persecute, it's, it's Christians. I mean, even just, uh, you know, we could go around the room and tell a few stories, like when have you been laughed at because you follow Jesus or, you know, people like, you know, don't invite you to stuff because you are a Christian. I've heard it said that the American Christian fears the raising of an eyebrow but the Christians in many parts of this world fear the raising of a sword. You know, just this week, 150 Christians are taken captive in Syria. Um, a couple weeks ago, 21 Egyptian Christians were beheaded on a beach in Libya by ISIS terrorists. There have been more Christians killed in the last century than all of human history combined. So it's game on. Jesus isn't just talking about then. He's also talking about about now. So um, the third one is this. He says, and at the end of his teaching, the last thing he taught his team is in John 16, 33, where he said, in the world, you will have tribulations. That word tribulation was an intense word that he picked. And it was a catch-all. It could refer to disease or sickness or natural calamities or persecutions. It was just, it's going to be intense. And I, I feel like in this topic this morning, I have had a front row seat in many people's lives. In fact, this week in my office, a guy, three different stories of people saying, where is God? Like what did one guy literally yelling at the sealed t ceiling tiles in my office, like, God, what are you doing? What is coming next? And so Jesus is warning his team, but in the midst of all of that, how are we to respond? And Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. And his command is believe in God, believe also in me. Okay, so you hear that and you go, wait a minute, are you saying believe in you and God, believe in what's going on here? So Jesus is saying this, up till now, as, as Jewish people, they would worship God, they would believe in God. Now as they've gotten to know Jesus, Jesus is saying, look, you, you know that the Father and I are one, just like you used to believe in God. Now I want you to believe in me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. And so what we're going to see now from John 14 to 16 is there are five promises from Jesus. He says, I don't want you to be afraid. Do not be troubled because, and he's going to give us five things uh, that we can cling to here. And so um, he's commanding us this because we need it. There's no other option. There's no other way we're going to face this life triumphantly than to put faith in him. And so he gives us five promises we could cling to. Here's the first one. It comes right out of the chute in John 14. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. 
In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, there you can be also. We just did a series a couple of weeks ago on heaven. And so I believe that's what Jesus is talking about here. He say, I'm leaving you, but I am going to prepare a place for you. And you study that. You study heaven. Heaven is is an amazing place. And what a concept that Jesus is there even now preparing a place for, for you. Like, and Jesus is an amazing creator and builder and he knows you and he loves you and he's creating this amazing place. And so one thing that can give us hope in the midst of intense, you know, a tribulation, a persecution is like, there's a place there's a place after this. And when we talked about heaven, we talked about how this life is like, it's like a vapor. This life is here and gone, but eternity is, is forever. Like 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. So, I mean, as brutal of a winter as this has been, you know, I've got friends that are talking about going south. Like in two weeks, maybe what helps you survive through February. It's like in two weeks, we're going to be somewhere that it's warm, right? We're going to be in Florida or Mexico or depending on your budget, Tipton or, you know, like wherever I'm going, like you try to set up something at spring break that helps you survive the Iowa winter, right? And on a far, far, far greater scale, Jesus is saying, like what you are struggling now, you, this is so quick. This is so short compared to where we'll be forever. And I, what, what, what we need to understand, here's a danger of these five promises we're going to get from Jesus. Unless you um, really, unless we really know who Jesus is, some of these promises might not seem like that big a deal to us. I think to his disciples, these meant everything because they saw how powerful he is. They saw the great things he could do. They also saw and they experienced his love for them. And I think what got them excited about this first promise wasn't, oh, I wonder what my house is going to be like, or I wonder how big, I wonder what the square footage is going to be, I wonder hot tub, pool, like what's going to be there, and I think the part that grabbed them was when he said, um, I, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, so that where I am, you can be there too, that, that's the part that grabbed their hearts, like I get to be with Jesus forever. Like, and he is so pumped for me to be there. He's already setting up a place for me. And I, I mean, there's still a part of me that thinks like he's building Doug a little house over there. So at least I got Doug covered. Like he's not, it's not like that. He's like, I want you with me. I'm preparing a home so that we could be together. That's the part that I don't think they cared about how big or how small the house is. I just think they loved that there would be a place that they would be with Jesus for forever. So that's the first thing out of the shoot is that I'm going to prepare a place for you. We are going to be together for forever. Here's the second thing he rolled at him. It's in John 14 verses 16 to 18. He said, I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him because he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will 
come to you. These are related, but he promised them that I will not leave you alone, that even while he is in heaven preparing a place for us, he said he would send us another helper. That word another is significant. There were a couple words Jesus could have grabbed out of the language he was using, but he intentionally grabbed a word that meant another of the same kind. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, and I am so excited. Next week, the whole message is on the Holy Spirit. Because if you look at John 14 to 16, Jesus taught a lot about the Holy Spirit. And so here's a little teaser for next week. Jesus is saying, I am going to send you another helper just like me who's going to live in you. You will never be alone. So whatever challenge you're facing or adversity, hardship, tribulation, I am in you. I am with you. In fact, this will blow you away. Next week, we're going to see a verse where Jesus said, it is better for you to have the Holy Spirit in you than to have me with you. I don't, that's hard for me to get my head around because I don't think we understand how amazing the Holy Spirit is. Like I think, how many times have you caught yourself saying, man, I wish I could have been like on Jesus' team, wish I could have been one of the disciples, seen him walk on water, listen to him teach, man, that would, be, that, that would be perfect. That would be the best. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. What the best is, is if my spirit is living in you, that's way better. Isn't that amazing? It's just because we don't understand who the Holy Spirit is. There's a verse that says that the spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead now lives in your mortal body. Talking about the power that the Holy Spirit wants to give us. We'll see this next week, but the Holy Spirit gives you peace. The Holy Spirit reminds you of what Jesus taught. The Holy Spirit is a comforter. Um, The Holy Spirit um, helps you understand what's happening and what's to come. I I honestly am excited for next week because I think we are just scratching the surface and understanding what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. But Jesus says, don't don't let your hearts be troubled because I'm not going to leave you. I, I'm going to send my spirit to live within you, and that's going to be amazing. In fact, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit being in us is peace. And that's the next thing Jesus says he gives. John 14, 27, he says, uh, My peace I give to you, um, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Guys, this is really important. Peace is not the absence of challenges. It's not the absence of hardship and tribulation. But peace is when you are calm and the storm is just flying all around you. When it is literally going to hell all around you and you're, you're good with it. Like you're just, you're calm and you're strong uh, because Jesus is giving you peace. And um, when you see that and when you're around that, it's astonishing. I can think of times in my life, one of the clearest for me, um, got a couple of my family members sick today, so they're watching live stream with others. Hey, how's it going? So, um, but when my oldest daughter was born, um, one of my first memories of seeing her with our pediatrician, who actually is coming to our men's group now, he might be here this morning, was him pounding on her back with her just kind of draped, her body draped over his hand because she wasn't breathing right. And then they had to rush her into an intensive care area. And then I go back to see how my wife's doing, and she had had a hematoma that erupted, and she lost, was losing blood like, blood like crazy, and they had to rush her to the ER. And there we are from like one of the most exciting moments in your life, your first child, to like, what's going on? And I just went to Mercy Hospital. There was an empty room. Just found a Gideon Bible in one of the drawers, got on my knees on that tile floor, and just found Psalm 23. Just started reading through it. And this is, this is one of those moments where I just felt the fear just kind of get flushed out 
And I, I literally felt like somebody came and was with me and put a hand on my shoulders. I looked and there wasn't anybody, but I just felt the presence of God saying, I got this. And, you know, a few days later, both were released from the hospital and praise God, you know, for that. But I just, maybe you've had moments like that too, where you know nothing had changed yet. We didn't know, I didn't know how they were going to do, how it was going to turn out. But I just sensed the presence of God giving me peace. And that's what Jesus says, peace I will give to you. It's not like the world gives. And so our world offers peace and security through so many things. Like if you just have the right job, you just have the right amount saved up for your retirement, or if you just take care of your body, you eat the right stuff. And so all the, all the things that we start writing our scripts about our health and our finances and our relationships, man, this world, those, if that's what our peace is lying in, you can forget it. Those are, those are the topics where the scripts get flipped, right? With our health, with our finances, with our relationships. Jesus said, in this world, you're not going to find peace. I give you peace like this world can't give you. It's like if you're into skiing, and let's say you've only skied in Iowa, and you just, you know, you've got a buddy from Colorado that's visiting you. Man, you need to see sundown, man, up by Dubuque. It's the greatest skiing place ever. You know, and you go there, and you go isn't this amazing? And your friend's going like, where are the mountains? Like, what's, what's going on? And that's like when this world says, I'm going to give you peace. Jesus said, no, don't, don't go there. Let, let me give you peace that this world can't give. So it's interesting. Um, there, like I said, there's several people walking this sermon right now. I just feel like I've, I'm in a front row seat just watching people live out the truths here. And you know, there was a family that um, discovered uh, stage four cancer was part of their script that they weren't preparing for. And early this year, when the husband was going in for his latest scan, the, um, the, um, the wife pulled me aside, and one of our leaders here pulled aside and said, I want you to know that I have a peace stepping into this one. The last one is kind of a wreck or whatever, but I just have a peace. God's, God's with us in this and that that's that's powerful right there and so again that's uh, that's the byproduct of prayer the way we access the peace that jesus is talking about here is through prayer philippians 4 6 and 7 says don't be anxious for anything but in everything with prayer and petition with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to god and the peace of god which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in christ jesus like that's the next promise that Jesus gives them is in John 6, 24. It's about prayer. He says, until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy will be full. So what's he talking about here? He says, until now, you've asked for nothing in my name. Here's the deal. Jesus has been living with these guys. And so for three years, if they say, Jesus, we're hungry, make some fish. Like, make us dinner here. Or Jesus, could you? Like, they just could see him personally and ask for things. But now that he's leaving which is our scenario too. Now that he's leaving, he says, I want you to pray. I want you to keep asking me for things. But now you're gonna ask in my name. In fact, the verb tense there is keep on asking. Just whatever you're going through, keep on asking in my name. And so when we pray, I'm not sure we always understand what's going on or the amazing work that Jesus has done to allow us to pray. But if you think about it, here we are on this planet compared to all this creation we're just specks of specks of specks and we're not just small compared to how infinite our God is we're incredibly evil and wicked and sinful compared to a holy God so why would he listen to us 
you know, praying in the name of Jesus is, and this won't happen, but it's as if somebody in heaven were to ask you for your credentials. Who are you? Like, why, why do you think you can just ask God for help through your little trial or whatever you're going through? Like, if somebody in heaven were to roll up on you and say that to you, you have no answer. You can't say, well, I'm pretty good. No, you're not. Well, I'm pretty strong. No, you're not. Like, you're, you got nothing except you can say, I'm asking this in the name of Jesus. And then that changes everything in heaven. Because you look at Revelation 4 and Revelation 5, who's the one that all the angels are singing around, singing, holy, 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 worthy is the lamb. You say, I'm here in the name of Jesus. Everything changes. Now, again, that's not going to happen. That's a hypothetical. Who says you could pray to God? But if that were to come up, you just play the Jesus card. You just say, I'm here in the name of Jesus Christ because he died for me. He has forgiven me of my sins. And now I have access to, <laughs> to the eternal, the holy, the infinite God. And so Jesus says, ask in my name, ask anything in my name and uh, that your joy will be full. Your joy will be full. So that's the new scenario. They can't just ask him now, but he, he's saying, please talk to, talk to your Father in heaven in a brand new way. Pray in my name. So keep on asking. And so sometimes people have a hard time with that when he says, um, ask for anything. Ask and you will receive that your joy will be full. Because um, I, when I used to work with students, sometimes they'd read something like that. And they're a little more honest. Like, we think it, they just say it. But they'd say, like, oh, does that mean I could just pray for a new car? I'll just pray for a new car. Or does that mean I'm, I'm, I have a big game this week? I'll pray for 40 points. I want 40 points this week. Like, does that mean ask and I'll just get it? And so uh, remember here, we're asking in his name. And so that means we really understand who's, who is representing us as we get to pray this? Whose name are we coming in? Who are we seeking to honor through this prayer? Not that praying for a car is bad. Um, we've done that before. <laughs> or praying for, you know, just, there's nothing wrong with that, but just the heart behind understanding it. In fact, I like Tim Keller just wrote, I think, a really good book on prayer. And here's a, here's a quote I like in there. God will either give us what we ask for or he will give us everything we would have asked for if we knew everything he knew. Like God is a good God. He loves to bless his kids. And if we come running up and babbling about a bunch of stuff we don't need, he'll just you know, kind of filter that out and he'll give us exactly what we need. But the main deal is Jesus is just, you just sense freedom here. Just ask, ask in my name. And even if you've been a parent and you're, when your kids are young and they're asking for things that just don't make any sense, you're still kind of honored that they're asking, that they're, they're seeking you. And so you just, you know, and we're not even compared to God. We're, we're sinful parents. And God is a, is a loving God. He knows how to handle our prayers. He would just say, just come, just ask and keep praying. And if, if I could fast forward that story about the couple, the, the wife who said she had peace. This is just like a week or two ago. Um, They've been having weekly chemo appointments, and um, they've gotten to know some other couples through that. And one couple actually um, has just trusted Christ through this couple over the weeks. Um, again, Jesus said, pray that your joy will be full. Um, it doesn't make sense to have joy in a chemo ward, in the chemo area with stage four cancer patients. But this, so couple A, who knows Jesus and is experiencing this joy and peace, was talking to couple B and saying, well, where's your joy coming from? And you know, just get one of these, which leads to a conversation which leads to these people finding Jesus. And so um, 
So peace that comes through prayer that gives us joy. That's what Jesus is offering us. And the last one here is this, that again, the last statement he taught them in the upper room, he said this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus, the assurance here is whatever it is you're facing, whatever challenge it is, Jesus has already crushed it. There's nothing here that Jesus looks at and goes, oh no, like I haven't thought about that or how am I going to tackle that one? Jesus has crushed everything. And it's, it's pretty audacious to think about when Jesus said this because 24 hours after he said these words, I have overcome the world, his body was in a tomb. He'd been crucified and badly beaten. And I mean, so 24 hours after saying that, that's where his body is. But he knew he knew the resurrection. He knew that he would conquer the worst that this world could throw at us, the worst of sin and death. And Jesus conquered that through the resurrection. So um, he says, um, in the world you'll have tribulation, but I have overcome the world. So whatever it is right now that makes your knees buckle, that makes you timid, backs you off, Jesus says, I've overcome that. Let's go. I, you, you can have peace in this because I've already crushed it. I've destroyed it. And so... What's amazing is that Jesus, um, this team, was radically transformed. Not in the short term, because right after this, uh, when Jesus got arrested, they, they took off. Like, they were scared. Like, can, maybe as a parent you get this, or if you coach younger teams, like, you say the same thing over again and they don't do it. Can you just imagine Jesus like, oh, I just told them all those things, you know, in that upper room. I just gave them these great verses, and they, they still scattered on them. But when they saw him resurrected, and we'll talk about this next week, when they received the Holy Spirit, this was a completely different team, a completely different team of people. And so we see that in Acts chapter 4. This is what, again, with us this morning. This isn't history, this is us. And so if you've been challenged with just backing off and you're afraid and you're timid, Jesus would say, look, I can flip the script in your life too, just like I did in them. He made them completely different. You look at Acts chapter 4. So this is about two months later two months later. And so verse eight, so what's happened is that Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, Peter and John are on trial in front of the same leaders that had just sentenced Jesus to death and crucifixion. They're in front of the same group of people. In Acts 4 eight, it says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and people and elders. And then verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I mean, he's just letting it rip. This is the guy that two months earlier when Jesus was on trial, Peter denied three times that he even knew Jesus. One of those was to a junior high girl. Like he couldn't even say he knew Jesus. But here he is two months later in the face of the people that sentenced Jesus to death. And he's saying, hey, you know, there's nobody that can save us except Jesus. And you guys are the ones that, that killed him. So right there to their face. Verse 13, it says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and common men, they were astonished and they recognized that these men had been with Jesus. You go to the next chapter, they're out there preaching again. They get arrested, they get thrown in jail. An angel comes, lets them out of jail, says, go back and preach. This is, it's almost comical. The next morning, those leaders get together again. Hey, bring those guys out of prison so we can kind of persecute them here. Uh, they're out of prison and they're back on the streets preaching again. It's like, what? You know, so they go out and get them. They drag them in again. They threaten them. It's getting in their face. And Peter responds to them and says, we must obey God rather than man. 
And then they call him in again and they beat him and they warn him. They say, don't preach in that name anymore. You're filling the streets of Jerusalem with his teaching. Shut up. Stop talking about Jesus. And they beat him. And then look at the response there. Acts 5, 40 to 42. It says that when they left the temple courts, they were praising God that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And they continue teaching day after day in the temple and house to house, preaching Jesus is the Christ. So they're clinging to these promises. They're not living in fear and timidity anymore. They're believing in Jesus and the message is getting out and lives are changing. And so I keep saying this, but this DNA that Jesus loves to see in his team, this like relentless rhino-like mentality that Jesus would love to see in our lives is something that he can do in us as we believe in him and the promises that he offers us. And again, this isn't just a history lesson. This is happening around this church. This is happening around the world. Listen, listen to this. So remember, it was about a week or two ago where uh, 21 Egyptians, and if you saw this in the news, they were all draped in orange clothing. They were brought out along a beach, 21 Egyptian Christians, killed in Libya by ISIS, these um, Muslim extremists, beheaded right there on the beach. Less than 36 hours after that beheading, um, a group of Christians in Egypt produced a document. It's called Two Rows by the Sea. You write that down and Google it. Two Rows by the Sea. It's a powerful document. They, they distributed 1.65 million copies of this booklet called Two Rows by the Sea. Let me just read you some of the words. This is like Book of Acts kind of stuff happening today. These are, these are people today taking the same teachings that we're hearing this morning and putting them to practice. Listen, listen to this. These are some of the clips from Two Rows by the Sea. Who fears the other? The row in orange watching paradise open or the row in black with minds evil and broken? Two rows of men walked the shore of the sea on a day when the world's tears would run free. One, a row of assassins who thought they did right. The other, of innocence, true sons of the light. One holding knives and hands held high. The other with hands empty, defenseless, and tied. One row of slits to conceal flaring dead eyes. The other with living eyes raised to the sky. One row sh stood steady, pallbearers of death. The other knelt ready, welcoming heaven's breath. One row spewed wretched, contemptible threats. The other spread the news that God gives peace and rest. There were scriptures in this booklet too, like don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. This church in Egypt, these Christians in Egypt have taken this time of tribulation and it has opened the gospel in amazing ways. On a very prominent street in Cairo, they put up this big poster that said this, we learn from the Messiah, from what the Messiah has said, love your enemies, do good to those who hurt you. In a, in a place very close to that poster, they have sold 7,000 New Testaments and 17,000 copies of the Jesus video. One of the widows, um, a 27-year-old man who was beheaded, one of the widows of that man who has a two-year-old son said, I am proud of my husband and I know where he is now and I hope my son 
grows up to have the same kind of faith and passion for Jesus Christ that his dad had. That, that is powerful. The gospel is spreading throughout the Middle East, throughout areas of North Africa, in unprecedented ways, because God's people are taking the promises of John 14, 15, 16, and living them out passionately, and the gospel is being put on display. See it around here. I see, I mean, we're facing stuff too, and I, just the different lives, the different stories of people in the midst of adversity just clinging to the promises of Jesus. I think of um, families who, I mean, former students of mine that are now living in many of these areas, in Egypt and in Jordan and in Iraq and in different parts of the world, Ukraine and China, where they are extending the gospel and the parents who have had the faith to let their parents go or let their children go into places like this or you know, the team that just got back from Haiti that has seen firsthand what God has been doing through um, a family of Parkview that just has caught on to what's going on with orphan care in, in Haiti. Um, a couple weeks ago when Doug Fern was preaching and he issued us kind of an invitation or a challenge, like what if every one of us had the courage to talk to a friend about Jesus in the next week? We are hearing stories of, again, that's, that takes courage. They say the number one reason why a Christian might not tell another person about their faith is that they're afraid. They're afraid of being rejected. One, one really cool story of somebody's like, I've been praying for my friend for a long time and I just kind of took that challenge and I did it. And when I opened my mouth and started talking about my faith, I found that my friend, my coworker just really needed it. There's a time in his life was like, whoa, thank you so much for sharing it. But I wonder how many opportunities we miss because we're just afraid. We're not taking Jesus up on his promises that I'm gonna be with you. I, my spirit is in you. Pray, ask for help, and I will respond. But I just wonder, you know, all the things we're afraid of, I think the greatest thing we ought to be afraid of is missed opportunities that God is just continually putting in front of us because we're afraid of being persecuted or of hard things coming our way or being rejected. And so, um, but great things happening throughout this place. And, um, you know, I think as a church, um, it's, it's go time. You know, again, there's pockets and God is doing great things. I, I think if we open our eyes, there are so many things needing to be done in this city and around the world that we, we need a massive injection of John 14, 15, 16. We need rhino-like people who are just ready to go. And we'll bounce here and there. We may not do it perfectly, but we're ready to go because Jesus is going with us. And, you know, there's a verse in the Bible in, in Romans 8, 37 that says um, we are more than conquerors. It talks about a lot of hardships that Christians can go through, but it says we are more than conquerors. It's not like, well, you'll barely make it through. It's like, no, no, you'll conquer, and you'll even be more than a conqueror. And I just wonder, how many of the promises of Jesus are we not really grasping and not just running full out after? Or I wonder how many of the commands of Jesus we're just not running full out after because we're not aware that Jesus is with us. And guys, the opportunities coming our way as a church in this 40-year window, 2000 to 2040, the, the population of this county is going to grow by 40%. I don't think we can be content to be, you know, oh, look at the church we are and look at the people we're reaching. I think it's go time to start thinking about what else can we do to reach more. And it's got to start with us. It's got to start with us just personally, not afraid to put 
Jesus on display in our lives. But you look at the issues going on around us. We've just had our eyes open to the human trafficking issue. We've just started helping out with that in Cambodia. But that's a huge issue that I think God is saying, go do something about that. Um, orphan care in Haiti and Ethiopia. There's many of you have spon- are sponsoring kids in Ethiopia. And I'm just wondering what's coming next from what we're learning about Haiti. But God is saying, church, let's go. There's too many orphans. There's too many kids not being cared for. I just, I love what's happening at um, Faith Academy. The public school had a day off, but they didn't. And I had a chance to take a couple of my kids down and just see firsthand. God, just praise God. I know a couple of teachers are here today. Thank you for laying down your lives for those kids. And just how awesome it is to see kids in our community that in many ways get overlooked, but they're getting Christ-centered education and getting excellent teachers working with them. Thankful for a church that's willing to get behind that. And there are so many things, you guys, that God would just say, let's go. It's go time. And um, we need him. Let me pray for us. Okay, so Jesus, I, um, I just confess. I think for me personally, and maybe just on behalf of all of us, there are, there are times where we just hold up and we just don't go all in because we're afraid and we're just, we're timid. We're forgetting about who you are. We're forgetting about your promises. I just pray there would be a fresh season. God, I do. I thank you for what I'm seeing around here. I think, thank you for the times you helped me take those steps, but I just sense there's so much more you're calling us to, and there's so much more you want to do for us. So could you continue to teach us, Jesus, not to just sit here and think about what you taught your disciples, but to go and to do and to trust you no matter, no matter what's coming. Thank you so much for the example we're seeing from Egypt and so many parts of the world where your people are just taking it head on and just going for you all out. I just pray, Jesus, we wouldn't just look at them and go, well, isn't that special? They can do that. We can do that too. You, the same spirit is here with us. The same teaching is here with us. Jesus, you are open to to move in our lives just like you've done in your disciples, just like you're doing around the world. So in a fresh way, unleash me, unleash your church to live courageously for you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.